Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 297. Getting right up there by 300. That's a, I never knew that it would just keep going this long. So, to anyone listening to this, thank you for, you know, allowing me into a little bit of your time here and at least into your head a little bit on getting to people to think about different things. Today's podcast is going to be along the line of the, the troubleshooting uh, things because I had a question recently and I really, um, it, it was a, a very minor, appeared to be a very minor question, but it actually opens up a very broad topic. So I'd spent a lot of time now since my life actually took a complete turn over and changed. I spent a lot more time now instead of just training individual dogs all day long. And I do a lot more of training individual people now. And it, it, it just gives me so much insight, more insight into the people side. I got the dog thing. Not that I have it, but I've just done a lot of it. And I, and so now I'm catching up on the training the people side alongside with the, with the dog. The question was, and a very simple question, this is a retriever that already has uh, a number of titles. It is going for the, the highest level of, you know, hunt test titles now. And so the dog, it, you know, is trained and knows things. But he has such a problem, just one, going from the holding blind to the line. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Um, but he has also when he just puts the, the dog on a leash just to walk, you know, from the truck over to something else or just around then we have an instant Iditarod thing and the dog just pulls. And he'll tell the dog to heal and the dog will possibly respond. Certainly with a leash or an electric collar on, the dog will respond because he can make the dog respond. And so he'll tell the dog to heal and the dog will come back and then they keep walking and then the dog starts pulling again and he'll tell the dog to heal and come back. And he's been given a lot of advice by uh, training groups on you know what you do well whenever they do that <laughs> this is this is what you do whenever dog pulls on a leash and people have all kinds of words and stuff they do and and all that so doing my thing I always do I'm surprised people even ask me questions <laughs> maybe they just don't because I said well tell me exactly what you think the problem is right and he looks at me like I'm maybe a little dense or something and says pulling on the leash Okay, I get that. So what do you think your dog is thinking when that's happening? And again, you know, it's like, uh-huh. Uh, that it wants to go somewhere now at its own speed. And uh, that's what the dog's thinking. I said, well, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Um, what, what else do you think is going on in there? And, you know, every time I do that, almost always, but I, what I'm doing is trying to get somebody to kind of dig down in a little more deeply than just the surface. Dogs pulling on the leash. Whenever they pull on a leash, you know, whatever the whatever the, the thing of the day is, you know, do that. I said, what, well, let's, just, let's just, just look at this just a little more closely. Let's, get, let's dig down to what the real problem is. What is the real problem is? I know it manifests itself as pulling on a leash. That's how the problem manifests itself. Like you could have a certain illness that winds up with um, little bruises on the outside of your body. That's how it shows some of the stuff, right? And so you look, oh, look, I have a bruise on my elbow. 
And I wonder what I knocked it on. Well, you didn't. That's, you know, and then, oh, look, I have a bruise on both knees. I, goodness, I need to be more careful. When the bruise is really the symptom of something, and sometimes you got to dig down to find out, you know, maybe there's some kind of internal thing that manifests that way. Right? People are really used to that in their own health type things. Um, you know, you get uh, upset stomach. Was it something you ate? Are you allergic to something? There's all these things that you... So the same thing with our dogs. So this dog is... What, what's really happening here? The symptom is... And it's almost always this on all the problems people have. There, there's, it's a symptom of something, but... F- if you really want to address the symptom and make it stop being there, you have to go back to the very root cause of that symptom. So his dog, now this dog can run blinds, can run multiple marks, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the dog has been trained. So you'd think, yeah, I just got to get this heel thing. So this, what, and as we're talking and I'm trying to dig and get him to actually say what, you know, discover what it is. So we're talking about the symptom. I said, well, what's in the dog's head? And finally, you know, we just kind of worked it out. It was, well, it's not him. <laughs> if if the dog is on a leash or an electric collar and feels the physical enforcement of the heel command, then the dog will go back to the heel position. And then over enough little bit of a time, will then no longer be engaged in healing and and be pursuing, you know, going faster, farther, going somewhere it wants to go, getting there in a hurry. So the problem is that the dog's desires are larger than the dog's concern about doing what the handler is telling the dog to do. It's just that simple. It's not any evil type thing. The dog's not purposely telling you to go to heck. There's nothing like that. The dog is just thinking about what it wants to do and not and a whole lot more than it is concerned about what he's telling it. So there is your problem. So in all of the interactions that people have with their dogs, and we'll just talk about this particular symptom of a problem, there will be many, many other places where when they are engaging with this dog and the dog, you know, jumps up on them or hits the door or hits the gate or the minute you open the kennel door or whatever, it just comes smashing out on you. Because he really wants to go. You know, everybody loves that. Oh, look at my dog. He's up fire breathing dragon. They love this stuff. And they let the desire of the dog trump everything else more than the obedience stuff. Or, you know, the people, I love this, they have to let them out. The hunters tell me this all the time. I got to let them out of the truck and let them run for a while. And after they run for a while, then we can work better together. And I will say, in all my many decades of doing this, I have never done that one time. Never one time. Because when we get out to go do something, obviously they got to air. You got to let them out, relieve themselves and all that kind of stuff. Stretch out, get warmed up. Yeah, you got to do that. But to go let them just be wild, totally tune me out, and just go engage in everything they want to do. And finally, when they get that exhausted or they just... Then we, then we come back and then maybe they're a little more interested in working with me. Has never been a thing that I could possibly tolerate. I'm not a tough guy. I'm none of that stuff. But it's like when we get out to go train or work or hunt, we are a team endeavor. And I am the colonel and you are not. 
and this is what we do. So there's going to be many places, and there are with this person and their dog, where the dog gets to kind of, and they're pretty good because they got a fair amount of titles on the dog. But getting to the line is a lot easier when you have a leash on in the beginning or it's real short. But when sometimes you're running a, a master hunter or, you know, a finished, you know, and you got to walk 25 yards to the line, you got a different thing because you're under judgment. So the, uh, the thought process in the handler that I had to get across was your dog is more concerned with doing what it wants to do than doing what you want it to do. And you've never given this dog a reason to have to think that way. All right, understand, I didn't say you need to be tougher on this dog. I didn't say that. I just said you've never given them any reason to think they had to be more concerned with you than with doing this particular thing. So you're going to, people could have this in all kinds of places. Where it, and so what most, most of us do, you know, when a dog is I don't, not sitting on a whistle, you know, you got three whistles, but on a blind and on the fourth one, they're not going to do, they're, they're going to stop and they're going to go on their own. There's one of them. You know, dogs that like to, like, dogs that like to break, either on the third bird of a triple or the flyer, whenever it is, or the honor, right? Those are dogs who are opting to do what they would like to do more than they are opting to go, I need to, he said, sit, I better just sit here, or whoa, or whatever it is. So this problem manifests itself everywhere. And it started usually very, very young when they're cute. You know, when you have a, like a four or five month old dog that just runs like crazy after stuff, you know, and you don't want to... You don't want to hurt their spirit, right? How many times I've heard that? You ain't going to hurt their spirit. <laughs> you know, just like you have a, you're not going to hurt their spirit. If you give them misunderstood pressure and you just punish them for doing something a little too much, that'll make no sense. But if you teach them, yes, we get to do this thing that you love, but we're going to do it with certain rules and the rules aren't going to change. So when you have those little fire-breathing dragon puppies, then make them sit and wait to be sent. If you have one that is only mildly interested, do not make them wait to be sent. If they want to go, let them go because you have to develop that passion. But when you have a dog that's got a lot to go, then you can already begin to show, all right, whenever we do this thing you love, you sit and you wait until I send you. And when you sit, you sit still, not scooching, moving around, jumping up and down and all the other crazy stuff. Just have your mind focused on that little thing and we go. So all of this stuff, starting from when you guys with puppies, all the way up. When you have a five-year-old dog, to change the rules is very hard. With some dogs, it's possible. With others, far less possible. I'm never going to say never. But it's hard when you've allowed a dog to make their default thinking be more about what they want than what you want then you've got a problem. And some of the advice that you're going to get from well-intentioned people is going to be about some big-time kind of punishment for doing what they're doing. And usually, not always, but usually what happens when you do that, all right, next time that dog does this, I'm going to lay the electric hammer to him, you know, or I'm going to put on the prong collar and whatever. So then you're going to have them, as long as you have your uh, enforcement tools on you, 
then you'll be able to make sure they do what you want and correct them when they continue not to. When you aren't eliminating the problem of wanting to do what they want, you are merely, then they, as long as you got your enforcement tools, they're going to go, I got to listen now. And then when you don't, then you go, you know, then on the honor, they're going to break because they just have to go and they're not, you haven't changed their thinking. You've just introduced this new thing. As long as I got this thing on your neck or around your neck or whatever, then I'm, I got, I'm in control of you. But if I don't, I don't. So the answer to those things is going to be to change how they think about stuff. That's the only way you get a dog to behave the same way with a leash or electric collar on and with the leash and electric collar off. It is because you taught them how to think about this thing that you're doing. Now that takes a fairly thoughtful and aware trainer. So for example, I'll just use the example of this, this dog that pulls on the leash. So we talked about, you know, where did this come from and what's happening? So what we have to do with this dog is change the thinking, which by the way, you do not do in three days. You may think you've done it in three days, but to literally change neural paths in a dog's brain takes a while. It takes consistency. It takes clarity so they understand exactly what it is you're, you're, you're doing. To, and basically, we're creating some new neural paths so the dog goes from, oh, golly, we're going to go run marks or we're going to take a walk down the street or whatever it is. It goes from that to, okay, what are we doing, Dad? What are we doing? Changing the thinking to that. Not because it's deathly afraid if it doesn't, but because you changed their thinking. That's how you get them to be on the last series of the national when you got an honor and you got all this stuff and they're all fired up. But their thinking has all, you've created neural paths that exist in there that is their default thinking where they go, gotta sit. That's the answer to most of this, probably all of this stuff. So it's about what you've allowed to grow in their head and to go back and just punish for it, again, makes it only work when the means of punishment are there or enforcement. And it's much more effective and lasts everywhere under the most exciting things if you change their thinking. For the pointing guys in the pointing world, this, this dog was not that, in the pointing world, I, I, I feel the same way about when a dog goes on point, it, whether they are right next to you, 20 yards from you, or 200 yards and out of sight. They should be, have neural paths in their brain where they know this is what I do. Not because you're screaming whoa at them across the field. Not because they have the electric collar on or whatever means you do, big long cords or whatever. It's because it's what they do. So you've created neural paths in their head. When I go on point, provided the bird doesn't move, I'm done. Nobody has to scream and yell stuff. <laughs> nobody has to come running up. Uh, likewise, nobody has to freeze. <laughs> like, freeze, dog's on point. <laughs> if you move, they're going to move. You know, again, that's not a dog that's holding a point. But you don't do it because of electric collar stuff and all that. I guarantee you. You do it by cha by changing the way they're thinking, making it their responsibility. When you go on point, you're done. That's what you do. And there's a whole ways to do that that are not ugly, that are not, don't require 100-foot cords, don't require lots of electricity, if any. 
it's by changing their thinking. And that is the most effective way to train anything or anybody to do anything. Now, you can't, it, it, that's not like something you can, if you've never thought about it that way or looked at it or approached it that way, it's not like you can just jump in and start doing it. But at least you've got to think about it, like the obedience thing. So I'll tell you what, what I told, uh, suggested, suggested, because dogs are different. You know, and the ones that take kind of a thump on the head to get their attention are going to be different than the ones that don't thump them on the head or you're going to lose them. And everything in between, you've got to approach these dogs as the correct way. So my response to him was, to, well, let's try this. One, make sure all of your interactions, you're aware of how this dog, what you're teaching this dog, whether to pay attention to you or not. So, folks, if you're not in a position to require to enforce a certain behavior and you're not sure you're going to get it, don't ask for it. <laughs> That's just don't. It's like when little puppies don't come when you call them, stop calling them. Because <laughs> otherwise you'll teach them, hey, I make this noise, means nothing. <laughs> it just means nothing. Do whatever you want. You don't want that to happen. So if you're going to call them, make sure that you have a little cord or something on them so you can make them come to you. It really is that simple. But this this dog now that's run a season of events, uh, a lot of them too, uh, I said, and it pulls on a leash. So I said, all right, this dog is not thinking about you. She's not, she's really not thinking at all. She's just going, oh, yeah, I want to go over here. Not, not a lot of thought. So when, so when you're doing this, and with this one, we were going to use a low setting or whatever appropriate setting on the electric collar. Because if Alicia's on dog smart, you know, she's going to know stuff. She going to know the collar's on. But she trains 100% of the time with the collar. So she's not like, oh, collar's on, i got to listen because of the way that he's been working with her. So I said, you know, just start, go off, say heel, walk. She's, now when, as soon as she tunes you out, as soon as you sense that tune out, now she starts speeding up and looking over at something that's out there. Turn around and go 180 degrees. Tell her here in force and get her in trouble for not keeping up with you. But don't, I mean, turn and just go on your own. Don't to turn and say heel because then you're doing all the work for it. She's supposed to be healing, which means if you change direction, she's supposed to change direction with you. So if you just go do 180 and then she's still pursuing this other thing, then we're going to enforce a little bit on here and get her to walk, keep catch up to you. Now you're walking again. Do that a couple more times. So now she's not going to be cued by what you say. The only thing she can do to keep herself out of the enforcement deal is to uh, pay attention to where he is and to sit with him, stay with him. So I said, like, you know, don't go do that for 10 minutes. You know, do a little bit of it every day. Do it in certain places. Do things like that, maybe other versions of that, where you're making her have to think on her own. And if I was writing this out, I would underline that. You are making her think on her own. If you're constantly telling her to heal, and then she comes back, okay, we're good, and then she goes ahead and tell her heal, she comes back. All right, you're doing almost all the work. So just change your direction. Whoop, she wasn't paying enough attention, so now we're going to enforce catch up with me. Don't be off on your own. Come come, catch up with me. Get over here. So with a smart dog like that, done in a judicial amount, a judicious amount of not too much and different ways, where the dog is going, man, i got to pay attention to him every second. got to think about him instead of 
what the dog wants. And you do that in variations of things like that with some consistency. The dog is going to know that it needs to be concerned with him more than, oh, I really want to go over there. I really want to get to the line. Let the dog take off to the line in training. Go ahead. Go the other direction. Get the dog from not keeping up with you. <clears throat> Obviously, if you're going to force, you have to say the command here first. But just teach the dog, yay, you got to be thinking here. You didn't. Not, we're just not running wild. You know, same thing with uh, dogs that don't sit on after three whistles. Back in my day, I've created some of those. You know, and it's like, how did this stupid dog, you know, it's always the darn dog, till I realized the lack of thoroughness that I had done going through the tea and all that. It was a lack. I never taught the dog, sit is absolute. Sometimes you'll sit there for three seconds. Sometimes you'll sit there for 30. And if I stop you on a 100-yard double tee five times, including 10 feet away from the pile, so be it. And if you do those kind of basics thoroughly, then the dog doesn't have this, this, okay, after four, I'm done. <laughs> you can, you just have to go and re, and so if a dog is like that, I'd probably go back to either my pattern blinds or the T, whatever would work best with that dog, and uh, just work on changing the thinking. It's always about the thinking. And I'm going to go back, just my analogies like I always do with kids. I'm going to just try that in case this is not making a lot of sense to somebody. But again, I'll go to my second graders teaching math. I, I just That's a good example. Maybe third graders, fourth graders. I don't know. But we've got some elementary school uh, kids that were teaching math. And we got 20 of them, right? <clears throat> 20 of them. There's several in there that are just so sharp. I mean, they maybe just sharper than me, right? And uh, so I'm teaching them, and they're getting it, and getting a little bored, but they're getting it. <clears throat> and then there's some in there that have to kind of struggle a little bit because it just doesn't naturally how their mind works, right? And so that's a little bit different. And if you go too fast, you're going to start making them think that they're stupid, right? And then when somebody thinks they're stupid or not very good, they quit trying. So same with dogs. So when... When you don't cater, understand where they're coming from and how they do stuff, then they just tune you out. Okay, that looks like they're just being belligerent and bad, right? They're not. They can't win. You've given them no way to do it, so they can't win. Now, let's say we got some kids in there whose parents or family or neighbors or their particular group has been telling them, math is horrible. I don't, you don't, unless you're going to be a, an accountant or a scientist or something, you don't need math, it's stupid. And it's just, I hate it, it's not fun, it's terrible. And they go in there like that, and you don't know if they're super sharp, just what they are because they're not thinking this is any good at all. A lot of dogs go into training that way too, by the way, if you approach them in a way that they don't understand. And so they're not going to learn. You're never going to get anywhere, and you might have somebody in there that would have been a brilliant chemist, Right? But they'll never, because the way they were thinking was, <clears throat> you know, never going to allow that. Or at least if you didn't address the way they're thinking and let them know that that was insane and not correct. And then you have somebody in there that, you know, math's going to be just really hard. It's going to be, they're going to be, have to go at a much slower rate, have to know why they should have to work that hard. So you got all that class of students. And if you just teach them one way, you're only going to reach the people that understand what you're saying. 
And then you're only going to reach them if you maintain their interest. Because if you just grind out math, you'll, you can bore anybody. So that's a lot of layers of being an effective teacher. And it is exactly that way with dogs. Now, I, have I been a teacher of second grade math students? No. I have taught physics in college and chemistry and science. I have taught that. And boy, I'll tell you, when you're teaching physics to people who have no interest in physics, you got to dig down hard. But there's so many cool things you can show them. It's like, oh my God, that's physics? I, you know, a bridge is destroying itself because it's shaking in the wind. I mean, there's a lot of cool ways to do that. And it's that way with dogs, folks. It's that way with dogs. You have to, one, kind of find out where their head is and how they think. And then, and then adjust what you're doing to that animal. And it's not like that easy. Yeah, when you've seen 2,000 dogs, it's a little easier than when you've seen four. But it can be done, just like if you have kids. Hopefully, if you have kids, then you look at them because they're all different. And this one does this this really well, and this one doesn't, and this one does that. And you just see them for who they are, make the adjustments, and address how they think about things. And when you get them thinking about things in a way that is in their best interest and their best ability to learn, you can be very effective. And it is that way about dogs. There's not a that darn dog out there. You know, as before I got further along, you know, I had a lot of that darn dogs. And now, and you know, this is true. When something happens, I look at myself and go, what did I do? What did I do to make this happen? Instead of blaming the animal, just like the guy with his dog pulling on him, well, that's what she's been allowed to do. So that's why you have that. And now you've got to go in. You have to change her thinking that you created to begin with and then make it different. So that's, that's going to be today's. It's kind of a lot. It's about the dog's thinking. And it's not just about what you see. You know, if you do see a dog that's pulling on a leash or you see a dog that's afraid or you see a dog that won't sit on the whistle or you see a dog that's going to break on the last series you're in all the time because they just can't control themselves anymore, right? You need to go change their thinking on that. And when you have behaviors that are problematic, like dogs that break, dogs that don't hold their point, um, dogs that pull you, you know, get up to the line 10 seconds before you do, all right, let's take a step back and decide how can I get this dog to understand you need to be concerned with what I've taught you and you need to carry it out on your own without me being there to do all the work for you. That is a well-trained dog. So that's today's. It's a lot to think about. Either that or somebody's going, I don't know what she said and I don't want to know because it just sounds like way too much thinking and work. But it works really well with Kids in second grade learning math, physics students, and uh, dogs being trained to do what they're meant to do here. So that's today's snowy and cold outside. Big winter all over the United States right now. So I hope everybody is staying warm and safe, and uh, I'll be back next week. <laughs>